0: The business of America is business. Coming up on Philosophy Talk, who could deny the value of free enterprise? Somebody helped to create this unbelievable American system that we had that allowed you to thrive. Would free enterprise be possible without freedom of speech, freedom of thought, assembly, and association?
1: Aren't free markets the essence of freedom? Keep it in the black. Show a profit, keep it in the black, keep it in the black. Never mind your soul, never mind the landscape, never mind the other guy, keep it in the black. Free enterprise is a minor blessing compared with the true political freedoms.
0: Free markets in ideas, free markets in goods and services. Two sides of the same coin.
1: If you nail together two things that have never been nailed together before, some schmuck will buy it from you, man. Huh? Taking care of business every day. Taking care of business every way. Freedom Take and free enterprise. And it's free, just a dollar. Coming up on Philosophy Talk.
0: Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're in the studios of KALW San Francisco.
1: We're continuing conversations that began at Philosopher's Corner at Stanford University. That's where Ken and I teach philosophy.
0: And today we're philosophizing about freedom and free market.
1: Well, Ken, two things that go hand in hand, freedom and free markets. Free markets wouldn't be possible without individual freedom. And to regulate the market is to shackle
0: liberty. Oh, but John, isn't it sometimes necessary to regulate the markets in the
1: name of freedom? Well, how could that be? When you restrict markets, you restrict choice. And to restrict choice is to restrict freedom. But but just
0: think about health insurance. If health insurance was distributed by the free market alone, then lots of people, old people, people with pre-existing conditions, people with bad habits, probably couldn't afford health insurance at all. What kind of freedom is it when you have to live in constant fear that the next illness will lead to financial ruin, for example?
1: Well, it sounds like you approve of the government stepping in and forcing insurance companies against their will to provide health insurance to certain people. But what's that got to do with freedom? When you tell insurers who to insure, you're restricting their freedom.
0: Yeah, but you're enhancing the freedom of other of people who otherwise couldn't get health insurance. You, you, you're freeing them from constant worry. You're freeing them to change jobs
1: without fear of losing their health care. I think you're stretching the word freedom out of shape there. You're really thinking about fairness, not freedom. Regulating markets may or may not make life more fair, but regulation always makes people, the regulated people, less free. So you don't think fairness is a good thing? Well, yeah, it's it's okay. Fairness is definitely a good thing. I'd go that far. So is equality. But fairness, equality, and freedom sometimes conflict. If I have to choose, I'd pick freedom, over fairness and equality any day.
0: Well, well you know, I, I don't have the same fetish for freedom that you do, I, I guess, but but the that point aside, I
1: still think your concept of freedom is way too narrow. But I haven't even told you what I mean by freedom. It's really very simple. Freedom is the absence of compulsion or coercion. Suppose I were to get up now and leave the studio in response to your completely wacko liberal Go wussiness. Down. What would it mean to say that I acted freely in doing so? It would just mean that I made an unforced choice to do so. Nobody held a gun to my head. Nobody coerced me into doing it. That's what
0: freedom is. I I agree. That's one notion of freedom.
1: Well, in the same sense, markets are free when they're governed by the unforced choices of the producers who have something to sell and the consumers who want to buy
0: it. But you're just focused on negative freedom. There's also such a thing as positive freedom. Positive freedom involves more than the absence of external constraint or coercion. It requires autonomy, the positive power to shape your own life in ways of your own choosing.
1: Well, that's a fine enough distinction. I think it was Isaiah Berlin who first made it, was it? That's
0: right. Uh, and the distinction has roots, deep roots, in the works of thinkers like Kant,
1: Rousseau, Marx, Hegel. Rousseau, Marx, Hegel. <laughs> you can see where that came from. I trust you know that what Berlin thought about governments that set out to enhance positive freedom, that those governments quickly turn into oppressive, overbearing, busybodies in the name of promoting autonomy. They strive to protect us from bad choices, and base impulses. They claim to know better than we do how to run our lives. Forget positive freedom, Ken. The government should just leave us alone. Oh, John, come on. But uh, look,
0: suppose I have no money, no education, no health insurance. What good does it do me to be left alone?
1: So you want a government that will take care of you, cradle to grave,
0: is that it? No, no, I want to be free and I want to be autonomous so that I can take care of myself. But that means more than being left alone, left on my own. I need access to good schools, safe streets, and basic goods like food, shelter, and adequate health care if I'm going to be free and autonomous.
1: Yeah, but the market
0: can provide all of those things. Oh, come on. John, do you really think that if we let the free market alone determine, for example, who
1: gets educated, that
0: rich and poor would have equal access to education?
1: Well, it's an open empirical question because it's never been tried. We don't have a free market in education, so how should we know? We've put trust in our politicians and bureaucrats. How's that working out for you? Well,
0: well, look, I'll grant you this much. There's a lot to think about here. And to help us start, we sent a roving philosophical reporter, Caitlin Ash, to talk with someone who positively adores, just like you, the free market, John. She files this report.
2: 1989 was a year of protest in Eastern Europe. Demonstrators in Poland, Hungary, Bulgaria, and East Germany took to the streets and toppled communist governments.
0: The East German authorities have said, in essence, that the Berlin Wall doesn't mean anything anymore. The wall that the East Germans put up in 1961 to keep its people in will now be breached by anybody one who wants to leave.
2: Protests rippled across Eastern Europe, and in Czechoslovakia, the nonviolent Velvet Revolution replaced communism with a parliamentary republic.
3: I was six when communism collapsed in Eastern Europe.
2: What Dalibor Rohak remembers most about the years under communism in Czechoslovakia was the startling lack of freedom.
3: You, know, you couldn't travel without approval of the party, you couldn't purchase certain goods without having access to special shops that were reserved for party members, couldn't do a number of things that, that were sort of restricted to, to people who were part of the ruling class.
2: Today, Rohawk is a policy analyst at the Cato Institute, a libertarian think tank in Washington, D.C., and he's a big believer that free markets bring freedom.
3: What markets do by making people better off is that they expand the choices that people can make.
2: He says you can't ace a science test or learn to play the violin if your chief concern is getting enough to eat.
3: With increased division of labor and robust markets for food, people can do other things than just scramble for food every day. And the deeper the division of labor gets, the more sophisticated markets get, the more innovations we see, and, and, and just more efficient the markets are. Plethora of choices that people have, expands and you and could make a reasonable argument that that's what makes people freer.
2: Rohak sees similarities between his native country's transition to democracy and the Arab Spring, which began in late 2010 after a desperate Tunisian street bender had been shaken down for bribes by police. Here's a clip from Al Jazeera. Frustrated
0: and ashamed by the public humiliation he endured at the hands of police, Mohammed set himself on fire outside the local municipality building. His closest friends, anguished by Mohammed's actions, took to the streets and began a popular uprising that lasted for weeks before it toppled the 23-year-old rule of President
3: Zain Abidine bin Ali.
2: Rohak says the Arab Spring was as much about economic opportunity and free enterprise as it was about creating constitutional and accountable governments.
3: If you want to make people happy, you have to just give them space to succeed in life by opening up economic opportunities to them.
2: He points to Egypt, where the military has ousted a democratically elected president, and Morocco, where dozens of protesters have set themselves on fire.
3: To me, that's a worrying sign that the events of the Arab Spring have not delivered yet on the promise of sort of expanding the freedom uh, of individuals to earn their living, pursue free enterprise, innovate, and, and make themselves better off through productive efforts.
2: And while what's happening in the Middle East reminds Rohak of what happened a quarter century ago in Eastern Europe, he says one key difference is that in the former Czechoslovakia, it was clear what the country was moving away from and what it was transitioning toward. Rohak's not sure countries like Egypt have yet developed a shared vision of what the future holds. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Caitlin Ash.